Good to see you all this morning. We are going to be considering humility uh, from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. So I encourage you to follow along in your Bible, uh, Luke 14, 1 through 11, as we consider how we could seek humility and find honor. Listen along as I read from the Gospel of Luke. One Sabbath... When Jesus went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could not, they could find no answer to these things. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then, in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you set us free from selfish ambition? Would you set us free from relentless thoughts about how people perceive us or what our status is? And would you set us free into joyfully thinking about you and your presence and thinking about others? We pray today that you would lead us in the way of humility. Would Christ increase in our midst, and would I and all of us decrease? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're talking about humility from these 11 verses. And there's two uh, fundamental ways to pursue honor or respect. There's the way of the world, and there's the way of Jesus. So the first way of pursuing honor with ambition is you have to fight and claw to the top and kick people down who are beneath you. This is the world's way of pursuing honor. If you remember as a kid on the playground playing King of the Hill, I remember one of my elementary schools, we had this nice big hill, and the game was basically whoever gets to the top and stays at the top wins. Uh, You clawed your way up, and ultimately there weren't any winners. You just all ended up in the nurse's office with like scratches, you're bleeding and sweaty, and you have a concussion. You all end up at the bottom eventually. So that's the the world's way of pursuing honor. But here we hear from Jesus in Luke 14, the second way to pursue honor, his way. Instead of king of the hill, it's like a beach ball. I don't know if you still do this as an adult. I love to do this every summer. Is take an inflated beach ball and push it as low as you can in the pool or in the ocean. Then it pops out and everyone laughs and claps their hands and you do it again. This is the way of pursuing honor that Jesus holds out for us. This is what he models for us. The way up is down. The lower you go in humility, the higher you go in honor. 
So in Luke 14, 1 through 11, we see Jesus, he's invited to a leading Pharisee's house. If you're not familiar with uh, what a Pharisee is, that was just a spiritual leader in the Jewish community in Jesus' day. And they were known for being really strict in how they observed God's law and oftentimes adding extra laws so they wouldn't break the law. So he's, Jesus is invited uh, and he's sitting there with other important people. And at this meal, he warns them of the foolishness of seeking honor the world's way. And he leads them and us into the wisdom of seeking honor in God's eyes through pursuing humility. So what we'll see in my prayer for all of us is that Jesus exposes our pride in order to help us toward humility. So first we see this proud host in verses 1 through 6, this proud host. So this is a, a random Sabbath And they were having a Sabbath meal. The Sabbath was a day, 24-hour period from Friday evening to Saturday evening, set apart to rest from work, to worship, to eat some good food. And so this leading Pharisee invites Jesus for dinner. And what I love about Jesus is you might be having deja vu, like, didn't he do this before? Didn't we read this passage? Well, he's always eating meals with Pharisees, self-righteous people, or sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is after uh, souls, whether they're proud or humble. But we see that this lunch uh, with the Pharisee is kind of a setup. Um, In their pride, they want to trap Jesus. And it says in the text that they're watching him as he's eating. And they're, they're trying to ruin Jesus' reputation as a good teacher. Because remember, it said earlier that thousands were gathering to hear Jesus. And these Pharisees were also teachers. And so they're getting jealous and they're trying to leverage their position to get higher, play king of the hill with Jesus. And so what they're doing is they set Jesus up and they kind of plant a person there to see how Jesus would respond. So we see there's this man with swelling at this dinner party where everyone's watching Jesus, and it just happens that he's there and he's standing in front of Jesus. Most likely, these Pharisees invited this man to embarrass Jesus to see what he would do. Would Jesus heal, work in their eyes on the Sabbath, and therefore be a lawbreaker and not a good teacher? Or would he be like the Pharisees and not do anything on the Sabbath day? So the Pharisees, they take this man who's pitiful. He's, he has swelling all over. He needs help. They put him in front of Jesus. And the text says that Jesus responded to him. Jesus is responsive to this man's suffering. He sees this swelling and he's moved with pity. And he asks the leaders. He says, oh, leaders, you're experts in the law. Is it lawful? Can I do this? Can I heal this man, even though it's the Sabbath day? And now they're trapped. If they say no, they come up as cold. If they say yes, they may lose their reputation as law keepers. So they just sit there awkwardly. They don't answer Jesus while he's responsive and his heart is filled with compassion towards the sick man. They're sitting there in their coldness of heart. So what does Jesus do? He knows That if he heals this man, he's going to give further fuel and ammunition to his enemies. He knows that if he heals this man, he's not going to be on the in crowd with the Pharisees and the self-righteous. But he rejects that fear of man and he embraces love for his neighbor. 
He knows he's not going to be in with the Pharisees, but he wants to be in with God's heart for the broken. And so he heals this man. And now Jesus, he doesn't appeal to the law after this. He appeals to their hearts. He says, which one of you on the Sabbath day, if your ox, something, some, your animal you depended on for your work, uh, fell in a pit, or your son who bears your image, who you love, falls in a pit, wouldn't you bring them out? That's a work of compassion. That's not really work on the Sabbath day. He's appealing to their hearts. And once again, the Pharisees have no answer. The Pharisees are silent, and their silence reveals their stony hearts. And what Jesus is doing here is he's revealing a deeper disease. He's saying this man with swollen limbs, he's not really the sickest person in the room. You are Pharisees. Later in Luke 16, verse 15, we could pull that up. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. So these Pharisees were driven by a desire to look good in the eyes of others, when in reality it was disgusting in God's sight. And may God have mercy on us. We have that same spiritual sickness. Now at this point, Jesus made this, you know, Sabbath luncheon very awkward. There's a lot of silence. He did something the Pharisees think he shouldn't have done. And instead of Jesus pushing his chair back from the table and saying, all right, I'm going to go to a funner crowd. You guys are the worst. You're condemned. Goodbye. Have a good Sabbath. He stays and he not only exposes their pride, but he's there to help them towards humility. So if you feel pierced by the Holy Spirit this morning, feeling conviction of pride, just know that Jesus stays with you, and he's here to help you in the path of humility. And so Jesus goes on to warn his guests, or the guests, and give them wisdom in verses 7 through 9. He gives them a warning and some wisdom. So Jesus tells them this parable, verse 7. And he's speaking to those who were invited, to the guests. And when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves, he told them this story or this parable. Now, it's kind of eerie here because earlier in the text it says the Pharisees are watching him, but the whole time Jesus is sitting back and he's watching them. The Pharisees are watching his outward actions. Jesus is sitting back and watching their inward motives. And he's realizing this whole thing is a show. No one here is here to rest and worship and love neighbor. People are just here to move up the social ladder. And so he tells them this warning, kind of in a story. He says, verse 8, When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person might come, and the host might have to say to you in front of everyone, let's move down the line. Now, this is... Uh, a little different for us in our day and age we don't really go to thanksgiving dinner like vying for the spot the place of honor Uh, there's some cultures that still have that today but especially in jesus day meals were times to display to the community there your social ranking and so jesus is saying don't go for the top spot because you might be shamed and be brought low Now, like I said earlier, Jesus is giving this warning, 
because he really wants to spare these Pharisees and us from the destruction of pride. And I, and I want to say this to you, if your mental conception of God is like that dog owner that sees the pup like getting into the trees they shouldn't and just says their name like dog, and Jesus is waiting there until you like cower, and he's like, all right, good, good, at least he feels bad, at least she feels bad. No, Jesus catches us in our pride, he catches them in their pride in order to release them from the trap of pride. So he's warning his guests, and he's saying, in the end, this greedy pursuit, this selfish ambition, always trying to be on the top, that leads to humiliation. And earlier in this chapter, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus returns and establishes peace on earth, it's like a banquet in a kingdom. And what Jesus is saying, if you pursue the top spot, if you are filled with selfish ambition, and you're pushing others down like these Pharisees, disregarding people, then you'll be humiliated on that last day. No one wins playing king of the hill. But then Jesus goes on to give them some wisdom in verse 10. He says, When you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the guests. So Jesus is saying something countercultural in this day. He's saying, intentionally choose the lowest place at this uh, event where you're supposed to show off your social status. I want to talk a little bit about choosing the lowest place and maybe some counterfeit versions of humility. Maybe where your mind goes as we talk about humility. Counterfeit humility is an infatuation with our failings and shortcomings. So if you say this to yourself often, I stink, or I'm the worst, or people would be better off if I wasn't here, that's not the type of humility that Jesus is talking about here. Another form of counterfeit humility is downplaying our giftings or strengths. Maybe you do really good on a test, kids, and you say, oh, I'm not that good. You crushed the test. Maybe you did good at a game. Oh, I'm really not that good. So these are two forms of counterfeit humility. And here at verse 11, what Jesus does for us is he gives us a true understanding of humility as lived out, as embodied by himself. So he transitions from this story to explain um, true humility. And then he gives us kind of a proverb about the upside-down law of humility or the beach ball law of humility. So let's look at this humble path that Jesus talks about. In verse 11, Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want to answer a few questions here of how can we pursue this humility? What does it look like? And what is the fruit of this humble path? But before I do, I want us to see that Jesus lived out this law of humility to the T. So he says, everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Now when Jesus, he's the son of God, if you're newer to Christianity, we believe that Jesus eternally lived with the Father in a loving relationship with God the Father, himself, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But what we celebrate in Christmas is that Jesus, 
came down to earth to become one of us, to help us, to save us. And so what Jesus did in his incarnation, coming down as a baby, is he didn't deny his deity. It wasn't humble bragging or false humility. Instead, he set aside all the rights and privileges of a king, and he took on the position of a servant. First, he came willingly as a helpless baby boy to a woman named Mary. And if that it was not enough, as an adult, he took on death for his enemies so that they could become forgiven friends. Without Jesus' humility, we would have no hope. If Jesus didn't become a savior, or a servant, then we would have no savior. But he didn't hold the rights of a king to be his own, but he took on the form of a servant. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus has done for us. Think about the beach ball principle here. So he became a servant, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, because he went so low to become a human, then a servant, then to die a criminal's death for us on the cross, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the most exalted one because he's the one who went the lowest willingly. And friends, we are stuck in pride. We're going to look at a few things that help us see the pride in our heart. We need to be forgiven of pride and helped towards humility. And the only way we can be forgiven and helped is through Jesus, his death, and his Holy Spirit. Pride makes us think and do evil things. You think about how cold the Pharisees were. They took a sick person who needed a doctor, and instead of taking them to a doctor on the Sabbath, or giving them rest or giving them a meal, they propped that person up in front of Jesus and this crowd to make a mockery of the person and to get the step up on Jesus. That's evil. Maybe you've never done that, but how often do we push people down in our own minds and hearts. We exclude others. We do unthinkable things to be in the in crowd. And we deserve to be brought low in death for our pride. But Jesus took that for us. And even for those of us who have turned to Jesus and have been forgiven The air we breathe Monday through Saturday is a world of hustle and grinding and selfish ambition. If you want to get forward in your company, if you want to get ahead on your sports team, you have to push other people down. You have to be the king or queen on the hill. And so we need to be taught by the Spirit of Christ and what humility looks like. So how do we pursue humility? This is an active pursuit. He says, choose the lowest place, those who humble themselves. It's not something we just wait back and say, okay, I'm going to wait till you humble me, God. He'll, he'll be faithful to do that. But it's something also we're supposed to pursue. So how do we pursue humility? Here are a few ways. First, we pursue humility by remembering our Creator. Oftentimes, 
at, at gospel-centered churches that emphasize our sinfulness and Jesus' grace, the first place we go to, uh, to humble ourselves is, is to beat ourselves up with how sinful we are. But that's not the first place we should go. Adam and Eve, before they ever sinned, they had all the reason in the world to be humble because there's only one creator and they were creatures. There's only one being who never sleeps, who knows all things, who holds all strength, who is all loving, and we're not him. And so the first place we go to humble ourselves is to remember there's one creator, we're creatures, we need naps today, we need our meals, God doesn't, praise him. But then we also, we, we remember that we need a savior, that we're deeply wrong at our core, but we're deeply loved and forgiven. And our sinfulness touches every part of our thinking, and so we have a healthy distrust of our opinions of others, and we ask Jesus to help us think about others rightly. How else do we pursue humility? We live in light of God's presence. There's this Latin phrase, quorum Deo. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but this was a big, uh, this was a, a phrase that Martin Luther, the reformer, loved. Quorum Deo means before the face of God. And it's a beautiful reminder that every single motive, thought, every single, single minute and hour spent in a day is lived before the face of God. And that keeps us humble. Uh, there's a, a Catholic minister in town who is part of a prayer group that we're, we have as pastors in Concord. And one of his favorite lines, uh, Ed, is, uh, Jesus is present everywhere. Are we present to him? And that lovely, that's a lovely way of capturing Coram Deo. We'll be humble if we recognize Jesus is present here in this classroom. Jesus is present here in the sanctuary. Jesus is present here in my apartment. Let me be present to him. And finally, how do we pursue humility? We have a radical focus on others. We have a culture of not pursuing honor for ourselves, but seeking to outdo one another in honor, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12. So those are four ways we can actively pursue humility. And I love how Tim Keller, uh, in this little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he kind of puts puts an image in our heads for what humility looks like. What does humility in action look like? The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel-humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. So maybe we came in to the sanctuary this morning thinking, okay, a sermon on humility, now I need to beat myself up. No, that's not the call at all. The call to Christian humility is to be joyfully, radically caring and interested in other people and in, the Jesus, uh, in Jesus who is present with us. Um, the late counselor David Paulson, he's, a, he's an excellent teacher and preacher and a biblical counselor, he once had a counselee, and she was processing her broken relationships in her life. And um, there was no footnote for her name. I wish I could shout her out. But the way she, she put her struggle in relationships 
and how ambition and pride fit into that has stuck with me ever since I read this little bit here. Uh, it's a little longer, but stick with me here. So David Paulson, he's talking about this, this woman he was counseling as she processed her broken relationships. A friend of mine once vividly described this problem. She said that she had almost no true peers, people with whom she related eye to eye. Her relationships were not characterized by generosity, candor, or trust. There were a few pedestal people in her life, people she thought walked on water who could do no wrong. There were many, many pit people in her life, people she looked down on for one reason or another. Unsurprisingly, she was a woman with a lot of inner noise, fretful, self-preoccupied, easily offended, depressive, competitive. But as she grew in Christ, she grew in composure. She gained an inner gyroscope. I don't know how to say that word. Gyroscope. And as she learned to live in the way of peace, lo and behold, she began to discover peers and to build relationships. I love the three Ps, not just because... I'm a preacher and I look for alliteration everywhere. But putting people on a pedestal and beating yourself up, putting people in the pit, puffing yourself up, versus the way of peace and humility. And one of my favorite places for that is Psalm 131. This is King David, the warrior, poet. And he's saying, God, my heart isn't lifted up. I'm not looking down on people with prideful, haughty eyes. My eyes are on you. David and this woman lived Coram Deo before the face of God. And so, friends, what Jesus is doing for us this morning is he's exposing this pride in us to help us towards humility, which really leads to the fruit of peace and love. He's calling us to stop putting people on pedestals, stop putting people in pits, but just to see them, know them, and love them. Now, I know for our culture, it's really different. We're not thinking about lunchtime as a way to prop ourselves up. Um, But I just wonder, where is that place for you? Where you're tempted to either pedestal people or pit people? Where is that particular place for you? Uh, Maybe kids, it's sibling rivalry. Maybe one of your siblings had a birthday, they got an Amazon package, and you are bawling your eyes out because you didn't get an Amazon package. Maybe adults, it's sibling rivalry. You go to Thanksgiving table and you feel like you're in the pit because your sibling is just crushing it in their career, or vice versa. Where is that place for you that you're tempted to seek honor the worldly way? Is it at work? Is it at home where you feel like the work you're putting in doesn't receive the respect, the recognition that you deserve? Whatever or wherever your arena of ambition, turn to the Lord and, and pray this. He would, he would love to answer this for you because he loves you. Lord, expose my pride and help me on the path of humility. And trust this, trust Jesus' heart in this, that as he exposes that, you're going to start seeing it all over. As he does a spiritual x-ray, you're going to see you're riddled with pride. But he does it because he loves you and he wants to help you and he wants to make you more like himself. So as we turn to our regular weekly practice, this is called the Lord's Table because this is the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before his crucifixion. 
Uh, Praise Jesus. He is not like that proud Pharisee. Jesus does not invite us to his table only to be really strict on table manners. He does not invite us over to show people how much better he is than we are. Jesus is a humble host, and he welcomes the sick and the penniless to his table. He invites the morally broken and the bankrupt. He invites all those who need a savior and a helper to reject pride and walk in humility. So if that is you, if you are trusting in Jesus alone for forgiveness and help for new life, you are welcome to eat. And if that's not you today, I'm so happy you're here. Any of us who are following Jesus would love to introduce you to the Jesus that we know and love. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Church, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup, and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray.